This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Well Played, BFM's video game show. CEO and founder of KakuChopari.com, Ken Leandre, will be joining me on the show later to talk about his experience being the technical officer at the recent Asian Games, as well as his quick thoughts on the location for the industry during the tabling of Budget 2024. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the industry with Daryl Ong and of Neil Ting. Yeah, thank you, Hanif. First up, we've got some exciting news about Microsoft's latest power move, the acquisition of Activision Blizzard King. After a grueling 20-month legal battle with regulators, they are now officially part of the Microsoft family. That's right, the gaming giants behind some of your all-time favorites like Call of Duty, Warcraft, mobile gaming sensation, Candy Crush and more are now part of Xbox. Mm, this news came last Friday in a post on Xbox Wire where Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox, shared the exciting news about the acquisition and also revealed that they are working really hard to bring Activision Blizzard games to Game Pass. While they didn't spill the beans on specific titles, they are promising to share more details in the coming months. Now, if you're an avid player of Activision Blizzard games, don't fret, as Phil Spencer had a reassuring message for you. He made it clear that multi-platform support will continue, saying, and I quote, for the millions of fans who love Activision, Blizzard and King Games, we want you to know that today is a good day to play. Whether you're on Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, PC or even mobile, you're still part of the gaming community. Because when everyone plays, we all win. Mm. So it's seems like Microsoft's big move is opening up a world of possibilities for gamers and yes, you're right, it's worth noting that with Call of Duty and Halo under their belt, Microsoft now owns two of the biggest FPS games in the industry. Talk about Game Changer. And we are all winners. Moving on, it appears that CD Projekt Red used AI to reproduce the voice of the late Mirogross Redshack, who voiced Victor Vector in the game's Polish version. This was back in 2020. Victor is a well-known character in Night City and Redshack's performance was outstanding. Mm, sadly, he passed away December 2021 at the age of 60. Now, CD Projekt could have hired a new actor to replace his voice in the game but decided to take a different approach. They used an AI called Respeecher to replicate his voice and keep his original performance intact. Mikolaj Sweet, who is CD Projekt's localization director, that they didn't like the idea of replacing Mirogross. This way, they could pay tribute to his wonderful performance. Mm, now, now, before you raise up your pitchforks and torches, it's heartening to know that CD Projekt Red got the blessing of Red Check's family who were fully supportive of this decision. They used AI to match Ratchet's original performance and paid a voice actor to record new lines in the game. I guess it's a touching way to keep his legacy alive in the game. And this news comes at a time when there are concerns about the use of AI in the voice acting industry. Just this month, SAG-AFTRA, the union representing voice actors, voted overwhelmingly in favour of authorising a strike, citing issues like wages that don't keep up with inflation, concerns about AI exploitation and safety precautions. That's right. But in this case, though, it seems pretty clear-cut from an ethical standpoint. The company had full consent from his family, hired and paid a voice actor for the work it was all about preserving Raschak's original performance not a case of cutting corners but a heartfelt tribute to a talented actor yet another case of a win-win everyone wins next up we've got some incredible news from the blocky world of your favourite game Minecraft which really holds the title of the best-selling video game of all time they've just hit yet another monumental milestone 300 million copies sold can you believe it? I actually can believe it Helen Chiang 
Yang, the head of Moyang Studios, shared this very exciting news during the Minecraft Live 2023 event last night. And it's been almost 15 years since the game's launch and it's still going strong. Chiang said Minecraft remains one of the best-selling games of all time. And honestly, 300 million copies is definitely not something we could have imagined when we all started placing those first blocks, she said. Yeah, to put it on perspective, Minecraft's 300 million copies sold is an absolute record breaker. Even Michael Jackson's iconic thriller album, which is the best-selling album of all time, only sold around 70 million copies. The PlayStation 2, the best-selling console, managed to sell about 155 million units. And even the second best-selling game in the world, Grand Theft Auto V, with its impressive 185 million copies sold, doesn't come close to Minecraft's numbers. So it's safe to say that Minecraft is in a league of its own and is likely to remain there for a very, very long time. And I mean, who knows? Maybe GTA 6 can beat the game's numbers. Win-win. Hmm, but so far, Minecraft is the big winner. Big huh? winner. Last but certainly not least, in a major announcement within Budget 2024, our Prime Minister, Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim, has unveiled some ambitious plans. The government is committing RM30 million to propel Malaysia onto the world stage as a thriving hub for esports development. They aim to entice international video game companies and studios to set their sights on Malaysia, making it the go-to destination for gaming enterprises to establish a strong presence here. Yet another win-win. Definitely a win for the Malaysian gaming community. Now, what does this all mean for Malaysia's gaming industry? Hang on to your controllers, folks, because we'll be delving deeper into that topic with Hanif later on in the show. But until then, that's all we have for this week's news. Back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Daryl and Afnil. Malaysia's esports contingent performed pretty well at the recent Asian Games in Hangzhou with our team bringing home the silver medal in Arena of Valor and bronze in Dota 2. Apart from the success of our teams there, we also had other Malaysian representatives at the Games. One of them is the CEO and founder of Kakuchopere.com, Ken Leandre. He's there as a technical officer. I'm going to let him share what he did there as well as his thoughts on esports finally being a medal event at the Asian Games. So, uh, this Asian Games is quite special because for the first time ever, uh, in a multi-sporting event, eSports is included as an official medal sport. So I was there and along with a number of, uh, we call them technical officers, who serve as uh, umpires and juries for the eSports, uh, you know, eSports events that's being held in Hangzhou, China. We oversee uh, the tournament, we oversee the games, play judge and jury lah, basically and it becomes more unique because esports under esports there are seven different titles being contested so there are basically seven different uh, different events for you know seven gold medals and we were there as judges juries to see uh, you know pick up on you know there's any doping e-doping questions about results and stuff like that so that's the rule so overall uh, there were 27 27 international technical officers who are helped by national technical officers. So there's like a, basically a mini army of judges from all around the world as well as local judges from the Chinese side. Hmm. Was this your first time doing it? Um, it would be, I could say it's my first time, but it's not my first time at an Asian Games because in 2018, I served as a media officer for the 2018 Asian Games in Jakarta. This is for the Asian Esports Federation. Mm. 
So technically, it's not my first, but as an official technical officer, yes. Mm, so what was it like? I mean, considering that this, this is your first time as a technical officer, did you have to go through the, I guess, ropes of learning about, you know, how to go about your duties as well as, you know, the, the various types of games that you have to adjudicate one way or another? Uh, it was an interesting experience, uh, to be honest. And I have a specific role there. So out of the 27 international technical officers, uh, around 21, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they take the role as judges, right? They go to various, they are assigned to various games, various matches, to, uh, you know, to become umpires. My specific role was as media officer. So I'm the guy with the camera, snapping photos, uh, arranging interviews, uh, you know, getting all in, documenting everything and also working closely with the social media team and also the media content. But it's fun because we were basically the people behind the background. You see the athletes, but you don't see the judges mostly. So uh, if you watch any of the Asian games, doesn't matter what sport, you know, like Talikas, those guys in the blue jacket, we were one of them. So it's very fun. We were placed in the technical officials, uh, official media, you know, the village. Um, you, you're basically being accorded the same treatment as the official media, media personnel, or even the athletes. We have our own accommodation at our village, which is quite cool. Mm, but you're not there necessarily to be a part of the Malaysian contingent, right? You're representing Malaysia, but you're part of this bigger contingent as opposed to be part of the, part, part of the I guess, um, organizers' um, committee, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, yes, we are Malaysian first, but when we are there, we are we we we, we have to be super neutral, and we are not as the Malaysian contingent, but we are part of the organizing committee. So we yeah, you know, we bump into the Malaysian team. We actually the fun thing is when we flew to Hangzhou, we were actually in the same flight with a number of uh, athletes and even technical officers for other sports. So actually, there are lots of Malaysians who were also appointed as technical officers. So it could be badminton, could be tennis, um, could be and all the other sports which have Malaysian athletes competing in. Mm. So uh, what was that experience like? I mean, observing esports uh, specifically in, in Asian games, you know, um, and, and and what was it like to, to be able to be that close to the event and also see and, 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 and did what, what you had to do there? It's, I think it's a great testament that esports has reached this level where it's on equal footing with traditional sports because it's officially uh, a medal sport. You know, you win a gold medal in esports, it counts into the official medal tally. Number two, it's no different. I mean, you can, we can, you go to the technical officer, technical officials village and you're just sitting next to a, probably a technical officer for equestrian or for swimming for any other sport alongside. So it's, esports has gone a long way from when, you know, it started off as demonstration games in 2018, and now it has reached a level where it's on par with every other event. And it's great to uh, to see Malaysian. Uh, I, I actually saw uh, the Malaysian Minister of Youth and Sports, Hanayo, and her group to actually visit the esports stadium to cheer for our Arena of Valor athletes. So it's it's a great recognition that's been given towards esports. And as a Malaysian, it's nice to see the minister being around there as well, according to Paul. Mm. Were, were there any like growing pains or teething pains that you see in terms of, I guess, um, how things were organized? Or was it like a very smooth experience uh, considering that it was 
part of the, of the um, uh, Asian Games as a demonstration spot in in the previous uh, edition of Asian Games. I suppose you you can call it teething pains, but you can also call it you know learning on the job and like you know a, a very steep learning curve because uh, regardless what happens after esports at Asian Games is the first step. We uh, there's no guarantee whether you know um, you know whether Olympics is going to pick it up. Going to have uh, esports as medal sports in the Olympics or you know Commonwealth Games and whatnot. But whatever happened between late September until early October. That's the first of more to come. Uh, we basically broke ground to have esports being at that level, being contested in that level, and yeah, true. A lot of things are learned. A lot of things were, you know, it was meticulously planned. I give, I will not hide it. Meticulously planned, but a lot of stuff that were unexpected, but were quickly solved. And I believe the team that was assembled very professional. Not just Malaysians were there. Uh, we have lots of representatives from uh, the Middle Eastern countries. Uh, you know, um, even technical officers from East Asia, uh, Southeast Asia made a bulk of the POs. But I would say um, the benefit outweighs all the the hurdles that we had to come across. Uh, you know, that we came across to. Mm, of course, we did pretty decently there uh, in terms of in terms of our performance in the esports uh, events. Uh, in terms of the games being featured, um, do you do you feel like you know the selection could have been better, or do you think that you know in terms of at, at this level, um, the kind of games that are available is is sufficient? Like you know, c- could they have had you know other games that perhaps uh, are more popular for for the competing nations? You know, like like for example, maybe games that are more favorable to us, perhaps I, I suppose. I, I, you know, as a Malaysian, when you look at it, you think oh, certain games might, you know, we could have gotten more medals if certain games played, right? But um, seeing it from, you know, I mean, in the background as well, there were a lot of points were taken into consideration when picking the games that are featured in the Asian games. For example, PUBG is there, but it's called PUBG, uh, I forgot, there was a specific name, uh, and but it's the Asian games version. It's the, the PUBG that was played in the Asian games is nowhere near the typical PUBG that we see because they need to, uh, there are certain guidelines that they need to, how to put it, to, to, to meet, to, to enable PUBG to be included as one of the games at Asian Games um, because at the end of the day, um, the usage of guns, shooting other players, or shooting other people, um, it's something that's a bit frowned upon still in the industry. People might think, oh, it's violence, right? So instead of a typical PUBG where people are shooting against one another, teams who participate in PUBG Asian Games version, uh, they, they have to run through a series of gauntlets where they shoot targets, they have to meet certain time points, driving session, uh, driving segments and whatnot, which is so different from PUBG that we know. So uh, there are some games that might be popular, but might not be suitable to be played or contested at, you know, uh, a level where like Asian Games, Olympics, or Commonwealth due to probably go or due to, you know, uh, how, how you call it, violence and stuff like that. So we're still a long way to go. But I think having these games featured is a good step first, you know, a good step to start with. Mm, okay, interesting. Um, considering your your work, um, have you ever had the chance to actually speak to game developers regarding, I guess, you know, tailoring their games to be more suitable to be made 
present in events like this, you know, Asian Games, you know, Olympics and whatnot? It, it all depends as well. I mean, certain games, they might not use the word is being killed. They probably use eliminated or instead of using, you know, destroy, it could say, uh, you know, either it crumbles or whatever. Or instead of blood, they can change it to, instead of red, it turn it into purple or green or whatnot. So I think it's between the developers uh, and also the publishers as well as uh, the tournament organizers to come into a middle ground because at the end of the day, it is to cater to the wider audience. Because when you play certain games, you, uh, the game is catered to a certain segment. But when you reach this level where you are competing at this level, you know, almost at Olympics level already, um, certain guidelines and certain reservations need to be taken into consideration. Hence, why we see a, a, a tweak in how PUBG is being played at the Asian Games. I see. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be too pedantic about these things, but a game like Street Fighter V uh, is considered quote-unquote okay, uh, you know, in, in an event like this, you know, considering that, yeah, it's two characters fighting, technically fighting each other. Yep. And, I mean, when you say about guns, what about uh, shooting, right? You know, people, yeah, so, um, I think because, probably because games are turning into, you know, are appearing more realistic nowadays. Yeah, and even when you at the the shooting category, you're just shooting at targets. You're not shooting at people. So this is something that um, or the organizers, the the committee, and everything they take into consideration because it, it it's it's a minefield. It's a to, to navigate, to be honest. And I think uh, PUBG at being catered specifically to the games version is the best approach for everyone involved. All right. Moving forward, do you think that perhaps Malaysia should? focus on developing our capabilities and strengths in the games that we're already familiar with or should we start I guess strategizing you know and you know getting our our I guess esports uh, athletes to start practicing in events or games that will be part of of this you know not only the future Asian games but also Olympic in the future I don't think it's right to just focus on a handful of games just because it may deliver gold because um, I think that the beauty about esports is if you're not good at, just say, you're not good at Street Fighter, you might be good at Tekken. If you're not good at Valorant, you might be good at Call of Duty. So, you know, it allows people to move about, right? So the, the, the beauty about esports is the diversity of it and how, you know, how the skills are interchangeable, but can also be exclusive to a game. So I feel what the government should be doing is our players want those medals are actually contesting for medals in esports. I believe they should be accorded equivalent treatment as professional athletes, professional runners, professional swimmers, professional badminton players, uh, because if they are already accorded the similar treatment and acknowledgement by the Olympic Council of Asia or International Olympic Committee, what's holding the Malaysian Sports Federation from according the players, uh, you know, I don't know, training allowances, camp, professional coaches, professional coaching, and even, you know, room for them to professionally train. You get what I'm coming from? Treat, uh, if, you, if you really want to go for a goal, go for, look at South Korea, right? League of Legends, they win gold medal, they, they were deferred national service and it's being treated as a proper career. It's being treated on par with any other sports. And uh, I think by seeing our esports players contributing to the medal tally, uh, I think it's high time. You, I, what, what other proof do you need to show that this is a viable potting section? 
that should be given equal opportunity and attention. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, principally, but just to play a bit of a devil's advocate, uh, do you do you think that do or do you foresee any pushback from I guess people with more traditional views, or do you think that the issue of oh esports or athletes are quote unquote not considered real athletes? Uh, do 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 you think that those conversations are still happening here? Um, interesting you mentioned that because I was talking to a uh, a fellow technical officer who's a judge for tennis, and he mentioned one thing. Esports is uh, how to put it. The digitalization of sports is growing. People who are playing virtual people are playing virtual tennis now, and if tennis don't adapt, they will die. And it goes elsewhere. You cannot avoid people. Uh, you know, uh, virtual golf, virtual football, virtual uh, road racing, and whatnot. It's it it's gonna happen, whether they like it or not. There's there's definitely gonna be pushback coming from uh coming from these people. And they might feel that oh you know it's not real sports and whatnot, but the discipline that's being put by these players to be where they are should not be understated. And you know the longer you know we we play along with all this pushback, the more our esports players will be left behind. So um, I I I okay like like you said just now I'll play the devil's advocate right now. How many millions is being put into football and how many medals do we get for football? You see where I'm coming from, and there are out of seven, seven competition, seven esports titles, we got one silver and one bronze from esports. And these kids are not getting, are they getting equal support, equal funding, equal attention from the government? So, shouldn't it be a meritocracy there, right? The ones that's going to provide you the highest chance of sports, give them the attention. So if they say uh, esports is not the, you know, it's not on par, uh, well, look at the medal tally. So I I don't think it's a game. It's a it's an argument that they would want to get into because if you they want to touch into investments into traditional sports and investments into esports, um, the outcome and the result from esports it's it greatly outweighs whatever traditional sports that's been getting millions of investments and they haven't shown much. All right. Okay. So um yeah um going back to I mean, your experience being a technical officer there. Um, to a certain extent, if you think about it, I mean, your involvement there is pretty interesting considering that 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 you're there uh, representing Malaysia, but not necess- not necessarily with the main contingent. Um, was your presence there down to your, I guess, your profession and your uh, role within the industry in Malaysia? And and perhaps you know, can other Malaysians also be be a part of this if they're not necessarily involved in the industry? Well, okay, good question there because um, the funny thing, out of the 27 people, well, 27 in total uh, of ITOs, International Technical Officers, but out of that, seven of us, are, there are seven Malaysians out of the 27 people that seven of them are Malaysians. And the Malaysians that were picked alongside me were people who, um, I think just for confidential sake, I'm not going to say their names here, but they, uh, they have been in the seat For either a long time or there are prominent names in the industry, and I think to be part of it is, I consider myself lucky to be in it. Probably by my previous work in esports and stuff like that, I was, uh, you know, invited there and I was elected as media officer, right? My specific role. Everyone else, they either they've been active in the esports scene as either judges, tournament organizers, educators. They've been on the uh, what you call it policies. 
uh, you know, when it comes to the law, about the esports rules and everything, that's how they were chosen. They were basically leaders in their own field. And some of them were ex-pro players who were, you know, now they are playing the judge, so they are able to look at it from a different perspective. So to be called, it's a, it's a great honor. And I think for other Malaysians to, you know, who wants to be a judge down the road, right? I think just start getting it, uh, get active in the seat. Get active in the seat, focus on that particular rule, a particular role as judges or as policy makers and stuff like that. And that slowly by, you know, I'm pretty sure they will be uh, spotted by the body that is going to be uh, appointing these technical officers. And I, I'm pretty sure it, it's not an exclusive group. It's a very inclusive group to anyone who's interested. It was Ken Leandre, CEO and founder of gaming website Kakuchopore.com, sharing his experience being the technical officer at the recent Asian Games. We're going to make way for some messages. More after this. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Gigi Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharuddin. Joining me via Zoom today is Ken Leonde, CEO and founder of Kakuchopare.com. We're going to shift gears for a bit now and hear his thoughts on the allocation made to the gaming industry during the tabling of Budget 2024 last Friday. Moving on from this conversation, uh, I, I want to just get your, a bit of your reaction to the recent uh, budget that was tabled last Friday. Um, so obviously, um, we're a gaming show, we're going to be paying close attention to any allocation made to the industry. Um, so there's one specifically, uh, 30 million to uh, encourage. Um, so yeah, that's a bit of a, I guess, depending on which version you read, um, the wording can be slightly different, but essentially uh, 30 million will be allocated to an industry to encourage um international uh, companies to invest in Malaysia in the development of their digital products together with local talent. At least that's the English translation uh, version of it. Um, the Malay version, uh, if you want to be more specific, is RM30 juta diperuntukkan untuk menggalakkan syarikat atau studio permainan video antarabangsa melabur di Malaysia dalam pembangunan produk digital mereka bersama-sama bakat tempatan. So yeah, what's your reaction to that? Uh, it's a bit confusing to be honest. I mean, like we spoke right before the recording, it's like, Are they just focusing on esports, which is a subset of video games, or is it games development as a whole? Uh, and number two, if you are talking about international companies, um, I feel that money should be focused on independent, local. You know, it doesn't matter whether they're esports or game development specifically. Focus on them first, because I'll be very frank. Uh, seeing how the industry is right now, it's on life support. It's on life support, and it definitely could use that sort of uh, help in terms of you know growing smaller companies, uh, you know smaller studios. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, MDEC is doing a lot in actually helping them, promoting them, and whatnot. So instead of bringing overseas companies to just come in, giving them incentives, uh, I would love to see that uh, a bulk of it channeled towards present local ones or even fresh ones. It's not to say that I'm against international companies coming on board. That's great. But it's the whole, what's that? The bahasa idiom, kera di hutan disusukan, anak di rumah mati kelaparan tinggi, right? And that is, I feel, what that's what the sentiment is. And that's what I think close to the reality right now. And um, perhaps we can see where the 30 million is headed to because we've seen, what, that? 50, 20 million in the past budgets and 
unless you are within in the industry, you don't really see it. I mean, since what 2018 was not the first time a specific budget for esports or video games industry was mentioned. Um, by now, you would expect to see at least an esports a community esports uh, center in probably each daerah, each parliament, right? But I think it's very concentrated in urban areas rather than throughout Malaysia. So, I don't know. Right? Show us where the money is going to. Focus on local companies first, you know. Give them some, you know, a bit of a, a, a bump. And bring in the foreign, uh, foreign companies in, but prioritize what's already here. That's what I think. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, because I think... Um... MDEC is doing a decent job at, I guess, to send attracting attracting international companies to one way or another look at Malaysia when it comes to utilizing our talent, right? Malaysia is a pretty well-known hub for a lot of, you know, AAA games to outsource the development of their assets here, right? I mean, with studios like Passion Republic and, and Lemon Sky, you know, among them, uh, I guess, being utilized heavily uh, by a lot of these AAA companies to develop their games, I suppose. So um, I'm quite curious as to the kind of things that they were aspiring to. You know, like, are they trying to get, like, you know, Ubisoft to also consider Malaysia considering that they have one branch in Singapore, right? Was that perhaps the, the intention here? Um, I, I guess you need to ask the guys who's holding the purse there because when you want, when you want to invest in video game development, Right, doesn't matter whether you, you like I said, uh, pembangunan product digital esports or whatever. I'll just use game development as a, a blanket term here. Do you want to see a game which is doesn't matter? You know, it it could be a small one, developed and produced by a Malaysian brand, brand A, or you can see a triple A game which is Malaysian brand had a hand in it, but you only see their names appear 15 minutes into the credits. You get where I'm coming from? Personally, I would rather see five. That smaller studios create smaller games, yeah, you know, indie games and whatnot, but it's created and developed by local talent. Rather than, you see, uh, I'm, ve- I'm very, very 100% sure Spider-Man is coming out. Spider-Man 2, right? Or PlayStation 5 is coming out soon. Yeah? And I'm pretty sure there's a Malaysian uh, studio which is involved in it. But as a support studio, their names will appear in the credits, but probably 10 minutes into the credits. Would you rather that or would you rather see five? Like, you know, indie games being put, you know, full effort into it and they are there. I would rather see that. This is not to uh, trivialize or downplay the talent and support that the studio has put into games like Spider-Man. But I feel the focus should be upcoming ones. You know what I mean? So um, it, it it could be this might be a very controversial statement, or people might say, "Oh, Ken, you're anti triple A games." No, it's not. But I feel the smaller studios could really use that sort of support. Mm, yeah, I mean, the million, depending on who you ask, can be a lot or can be not much. Uh, but but yeah, if 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 you if you were to offer local companies, or local developers, the million, they would probably you know welcome it with open arms, right? Yep. Yep. I mean, it is quite interesting. Uh, this is going to be another minefield that I'm navigating. But if you compare the budget that's being put to digital content fund, at the, uh, which is around 60 million, and then uh, 160 million, I think, for local arts, uh, the 30 million for whatever the term is, pembangunan esports, isukan, the product digital, whatnot, is very little. 
in the grander scheme of things. And uh, I think, at the end of the day, it's better than nothing. But I would I would like to see it channeled to folks who really really could you know could use that 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 sort of bump. Mm, yeah, and again, um, because the the wording is is still very vague in terms of I guess um, including both esports and also uh, studio permainan video antarabangsa. So we we're not sure whether the money should be channeled uh, or will be channeled to either esports or um, you know game development companies, right? Um, do you th- if we were to pick, you know, which one should be prioritized in terms of, I guess, growing our current uh, local industry here? I think we should go with game development first because if you say, oh, we want to menggalakkan pembangunan isukan, it's not the developer or the government who choose whether that particular esports becomes a hit. It's the players, it's the community. So that's a very dangerous game you're playing. So, oh, put some money and create an esports title or this one. That's very dangerous. And like we said just now, that's not just one esports title, right? Imagine you put, you know, uh, 50% of that budget to a particular game and that game is not in the Olympics or it's not in the Asian games. Uh, priority, you know, wrong priority, yeah? Isn't it? So it's, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. So to me, focus on games development as a whole because... People always forget esports is a subset of video games. Focus on the industry first. Esports uh, will grow organically, but don't ignore the potential. That's all. All right. Okay. Um, so we'll see how this this will this will pan out. I guess in the future, considering that I think uh, this is the first year that um, yeah, there is a slight focus on on game de- game development in, in the budget, right? Which I think is yeah, slightly different from the previous budgets. Yeah, which tend to just have a blanket. Yeah, the, the 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 definitions are always a bit iffy, but I'm cautiously optimistic, and hopefully, the the performance of the esports contingent are uh, kind of shows that hey, you know what, this is uh, and here's the fun thing: esports should also come under whatever allocation for sports. You get coming from? It shouldn't just be treated as oh yeah, this is esukat separate budget from what about sukat pembangunan sukat. So uh, hopefully the performance at the Asian Games kind of changed the perception and also uh, attracts all of this focus and attention to give them the the due uh, attention and investment that they fully deserve. You're tuned in to GG Well Played and I've been speaking to the CEO and founder of Kakuchopere.com, Ken Leandre. He shared his thoughts on the education made to the industry in budget 2024 and earlier on the show shared his experience being a technical officer at the Asian Games in Hangzhou. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on bfm.my. Our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find this show on Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on X at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.